Hello and welcome to the bike podcast from The Guardian. It's been a cold and snowy January, but we've not been scared off our bikes. In today's show, we'll be bracing the Arctic conditions in a cyclocross race. Just jump around a lot and, and shout, I'm a marshal. Looking at what bike books are out there. I think cycling is a, a sport and a pastime which encourages meditative books in particular. And asking what you do while you're cycling. Just contemplate things I see around me and come up with little lines of verse or little poems or little haiku, which is that Japanese form of poetry of three lines. But first, a horror story from our super chic G2 commissioning editor, Nicole Jackson. When I first started in journalism, I used to work in fashion, so I've always been conscious about what I wear, and even at The Guardian, which is perhaps, to put it kindly, not the most fashion-conscious office that I've ever worked in. I still plan my outfits nightly that I wear to work the next day from, you know, my shoes to my accessories and I lay them all out and then usually sweatily ride into work and then change in the bathroom very quickly before anyone sees me in this hideous outfit that I have. Anyway, the other day I came into work and opened my rucksack and to my absolute horror, I had forgotten to pack any clothes. And this has always been a nightmare in the back of my mind that I just knew one day would happen. So I rushed upstairs before anyone came in and went over to the fashion desk and begged for help and got offered a size six backless Donna Karan dress, which obviously was not a good alternative. So I had to spend the day in these horrendous cycling leggings and this Austrian skiing top. And the worst of it was no one noticed. And eventually when I pointed it out to everyone, they said that they thought I was doing a directional take on sportswear. So I can't decide if my years of carefully planned outfits have been a complete waste of time and whether actually I should just come to work in my pyjamas from now on. It'll be a lot more comfortable. (laughs) The velodrome in Herne Hill, South London, is all that remains from the 1948 London Olympics. It's well known by track racers throughout the capital, but it's a different type of cycling which is becoming more and more popular. Cyclocross is an off-road race which consists of many laps around a course of varying terrain, complete with obstacles. Throughout the winter, several races have taken place at Herne Hill and the Guardian's Peter Walker went along to have a go. I'm standing in a field in South London. I'm used to riding mountain bikes with nice thick tyres and disc brakes and things like that. But the bike I've got under me now is a very skinny kind of road frame with slightly fatter than tyres than normal, uh, but it's a uh, cyclocross bike. And to me it feels very alien. And I'm not only about to try cyclocrossing for the first time, I'm also going to try it in a race with lots of people who really know what they're doing and are going much, much uh, quicker than me. And frankly, I'm slightly petrified. (laughs) Just jump around a lot and shout, I'm a marshal. My name is Ben and I'm from Condor Cycles in central London. Cyclocross is a combination of tarmac and off-road surfaces. Races last for an hour and courses are typically two to three kilometres long. Um, The racing is very, very fast. Due to the nature of the bikes, the courses can't be that technical. So often you'll find uh, courses have hurdles and man-made obstacles in them and um, quite often you're required to get off the bike and carry it to run up a bank or a flight of steps or something because they're quite often in urban environment. taking part in my first ever cyclocross race. Yes. Um, and I was hoping for a few tips, because I've done mountain biking before, but never cyclocross. Yeah. Okay. Any, any good ideas? Yes, stay upright, of course. Although, <laughs> <trying> <laughs> yes. Although the race is only an hour, 
very quickly an hour suddenly starts to feel like a very long time so yes. uh, pace yourself don't yeah. you will notice the front runners will go off like bullets from a gun and um, they'll typically hold that pace for the whole of the race ride your own race and and have fun right gloves on off. it feels slightly weird it's like being on a road bike and yet it seems to be crunching quite comfortably through the snow um, I'm not really sure. The brakes, as I've been warned, are not very powerful. The gearing for an off-road bike feels very high. I'm still slightly petrified though, but we'll see how it goes in the actual uh, race proper. Well, it's about an hour and a bit later. Uh, I'm covered in mud, uh, slightly out of breath. Um, I've, I don't know exactly how many laps I've done, but I'm betting uh, it's not that many compared to lots of other people. I almost managed to go the whole way without coming off, even though I saw about 30 crashes. It's one of the most demanding cycling things I've ever tried. You know, I've done some you know, mountain biking where you're maybe going downhill at 35 miles an hour and it's quite technical and you really have to concentrate. But with cyclocross, it's just this relentless combination of having to think what you're doing, pick your line, and also just cycling very, very fast. There's no long downhill sections. There's no downhill section which is longer than about 10 metres at a time. Uh, today was made even tougher by the fact it's uh, muddy and icy and wet. I think it was getting slightly icier um, as the afternoon went on. I certainly saw more and more people coming off. It was an hour of absolute pain. <laughs> and the more tired I got, the more icy it was, and the more you had to think, and it just it got harder and harder as we went. I think as opposed to mountain bike racing anyway, it's uh, you're, you're among a lot of other competitors so you always have someone around you to, to motivate you and to try to pass no matter whether you're in last or, or fifth, it, it doesn't really matter. Because someone who to you now, you're covered in mud, it's freezing cold, you're standing in a field full of kind of icy snow. Um, to an outsider it doesn't look like fun but could you explain what the, what the, what the great fun thing about it is? It's just like being a kid again, what's better than going out in the mud and you know, <laughs> running around and jumping around. You've obviously both, both just done this race. Yeah, yeah. What was it like? Oh, it was really, really good. This was um, definitely my favourite course of this season because it's it's designed to be really technical rather than all about fitness. And yeah. like, with the ice and everything, people like coming off all over the place, but no one was hurting themselves. Did you did you come off at all? I did. I came off twice in the warm-up and then I kind of <laughs> learned what my limits, limits were and then yeah. kind of was able to hold it up in the race. For people who don't know it, they almost see it as quite a kind of old-fashioned sport that maybe mountain biking has taken over from it. But is that is that not the case? It seems to be becoming more and more popular again, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it definitely had... Um, I mean, when I was doing it as a kid, it was like it was the cheapest form of racing and it was kind of had that a different type of image to it. But you see now it's just picking up. Like, just the fields this year have doubled since last year. Really? That's yeah. amazing. Well, it seems the results are still being uh, tallied up. Um, most of the people have gone, and it's a bit cold actually to wait around to see exactly where I did, so I might uh, disappear. I think I did six laps, and I'm told that the people who came in first place did nine laps, which I personally think is not that bad. I mean, I, it meant I was lapped three times over the course of an uh, hour. Um, I think for a first uh, attempt, it wasn't all that bad. Anyway, I'm off to um, have a cup of tea and to try and get warm. The Bike Podcast from The Guardian. Now, us cyclists can rack up a fair amount of time on our bikes, especially if we're using them to commute. So what do you do while you're pedalling away the time? When I cycle, I just love to sing. I started out singing, and then I've started rapping to myself as well. Although I'm not really rapping to myself, I'm more rapping to the bike. I mean, it's like standing in the shower, isn't it? Because you sort of have that feeling of no one can hear you. 
I'm an alto in the office choir, and so I like to practice when I'm cycling. Very meditative, that's the thing. You know, you've got your legs going, you've got the wind. I mean, generally, I cycle at the pace of an elderly vicar, but if I'm drawn into racing along, I have found my subconscious mind kind of taking Mickey out of me, uh, and I overhear myself singing the lyrics to Bon Jovi's uh, Dead or Alive. I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride. I'm wanted, dead or alive. Which amuses me and reminds me to slow down a bit, I think. Mainly hymns, because I'm a churchgoer. Free Bird by Leonard Skinner, I think, crops up from time to time. You feel like you're in a movie and creating your own soundtrack or something. <laughs> Particularly when you have the impression that you're going so fast, nobody will notice that you're singing. And certainly by the time you pass them, you can't see the odd expressions on their faces, so you can preserve the uh, comfortable delusion. A world without umbrellas would be a better place. All those rainy day pedestrians all take up too much space. A simple raincoat with a hood is all you really need. When I'm president, I'll bring in an umbrella amnesty. Just contemplate things I see around me and come up with little lines of verse or little poems or little haiku, which is that Japanese form of poetry, three lines. When I'm cycling downhill or cycling along the flat, I tend to just be thinking about, you know, what I'm going to do that day and organising my thoughts and it's very good for that sort of thing cycling but if I'm doing difficult cycling, cycling uphill, I need to, something to sort of carry me up and so that's when I tend to turn to poetry um, which is really useful and particularly anything in iambic pentameter because it has the good, the beat that kind of, you, the beat that you need to pedal on and so it pushes you along. And probably the one that I rely on most is the opening of Dylan Thomas's In Country Sleep which goes, never and never, my girl, riding far and near in the land of the hearthstone tales and spelled asleep. Fear or believe that the wolf and the sheep... I used to listen to my iPod on the way to work, except it felt very dangerous, so I had to find a solution. The first thing I did was go online and find a device from America called the iRide. It's a neat little pair of speakers you hang on your handlebars and it comes with a little bag to put your iPod in. Great idea can't hear the music at all especially when you're sat next to a number 38 bus so I decided I had to take matters into my own hands it all got a bit of Heath Robinson and I ended up installing a speaker and amplifier into my usual cycling bag it's like a courier bag and it has a speaker mounted on the strap that goes over your shoulder just open up and inside there's a little amplifier connected to a 9 volt battery while up a plug that goes into my iPhone there are many downsides to this, one being that you can't reach it to turn it down, the other being that when you get to that embarrassing ABBA song in your iPod shuffle, you can't turn it off at the lights, so everyone looks at you funny. So I had to put a switch in to turn it off. And other than that, you just look like the crazy guy with the music on the bike. Finally, we turn from bikes to books, or more accurately, bike books. If cyclocross or even a sonorous cycle ride seem a little too chilly at the moment, why not rack up the heating and let the literary world of bikes sweep you along the cycle lane? Our literary editor Claire Armistead called in Richard Williams, the Guardian's chief sports writer, to guide us through the options. Richard, we're talking about bicycle books, but actually they fall into very different categories, don't they? Yes, they do. There are 
straight biographies and autobiographies, um, the autobiographies, some of which are ghosted. There are uh, books about how to look after your bicycle, of course, and there are books about cycling around touring, um, but there are also kind of meditative books, uh, and it's, I, I think cycling is a, a, a sport and a pastime which, is in, which encourages that kind of book in particular, books where people explore what cycling actually means to them and what it's meant to their lives and how it's shaped their lives. Such as, I mean, I could, I could quote Matt Seaton's The Escape Artist, which mm. is a beautiful memoir of, of the death of his wife and the escape he found in cycling, wasn't it? It is, and I think that's the very best example of all. I think it's an exceptional book on, on every level, humanistic and, and sporting, if you like. It, it's remarkable the way he manages to entwine the two subjects together. And although very much of it is about the illness and, and death of his wife, anyone who just wants to read about cycling and about one man's very profound response to it will not be disappointed. Well, now let's go on about a bit about Tour de France books particularly, because there's a great soap opera that's emerging, isn't there, around drugging and these huge personalities, <laughs> the difference between a climber and a, a sprinter, all that sort of thing. Yes, well, the Tour de France is a very, very complicated event, and that's one of its great delights, that once you... Once you become interested in it and you start to get immersed in it, you learn all these remarkably arcane facts and layers of, of understanding. There have been many good books about the tour going back a long way. Jeffrey Nicholson and Samuel Abt wrote very fine histories of the tour and sort of portraits of it, really. Uh, Jeffrey Wheatcroft wrote one comparatively recently. What about the, the personalities? I and mean, we've got biographies of Fausto Coppi, we've got yeah. um, Tommy Simpson. T talk a bit about those. Well, cycling has more than its fair share of heroic figures, and some of them are tragic heroes. And Coppi and... Tom Simpson, both of whom have been written about by William Fotheringham in very successful books, are two of those major figures. Tom Simpson died in 1967 on the Mont Ventoux during the Tour de France. I've been to uh, see the, the shrine there. It's absolutely extraordinary. It is, and it's, it's very touching. And when Bradley Wiggins rode up the Ventoux during the tour this year, he'd pasted a little photograph of Tom Simpson to the top tube of his bike. And David Miller, I think, threw his cap onto the shrine as he went past mm, as well. Mm. It's a very, very resonant story, and Fotheringham wrote a very fine book about it. And then he went on to write about Fausto Coppi, who was a, a, a cyclist of the generation immediately before Simpson. Coppi really came up during the years immediately after the Second World War, when Italy was undergoing a reconstruction. And William's book is almost as much of a portrait of post-war Italy, people, you know, racing through the rubble, as it were, as it is of Coppi himself. And again, it's a very, very evocative book. It's, it, it's a wonderful period piece. And then we've got Robert Miller. Now, his, he's a mystery, an ongoing mystery, isn't he? Robert Miller In Search is. of Robert Miller. Miller was a Richard Moore, wasn't he? Yes. Um, Robert Miller is a, is a sort of self-created mystery. He was a Scottish rider, a, a great, great climber. He was the only Briton to have won one of the major jerseys in the Tour de France, the King of the Mountains jersey, the polka dot one, you know, the red and white one. But he was always a very reclusive character. Most cyclists are gregarious. You know, part of the joy of the sport, I think, is, is that gregariousness and the sort of fraternal feeling among the riders. But Miller really wasn't one of those. He was one off by himself. And when he stopped riding, he disappeared or, or did his best to disappear. 
But he, Richard Moore wrote a wonderful book about him um, a couple of years ago, uh, which won a lot of very well-deserved praise, but unfortunately led the Daily Mail to track down Miller, who was leading a life of his own choosing, shall we say, mm-hmm. not a conventional life. Mm-hmm. And he was upset to have been have had that life disrupted Mm. and I think he was angry with the author which is a shame because the book is a marvellous memorial to his career Mm. and a very interesting and very sympathetic and sensitive Mm. portrayal of of him a great Mm. book. Now you talked a bit about cycling and landscape of course one of the great things about the bike as a contraption is it enables you to go places slowly ironically when originally it enabled people to go there faster go places faster than they did originally Um, one of the, the classics of that in a sense is the Jean Bobet book isn't it it is today we ride jean bobet was the brother is the brother of louison bobet um who was the great french champion of the late 40s early 50s they rode together jean was his teammate one of his domestiques in a way Uh, but jean also did a degree in english literature at at a scottish university after the war so he you know he writes beautifully and he's written this book called today we ride which is a memoir of of Louisanne, of their years together, but also it's a kind of hymn to the beauty of, of just going out on your bike. Um, there's a wonderful passage about suppleness, souplesse, which is you know how you feel when your legs are good and the bike is good and the road is good and everything's going beautifully. One of those kind of magical days, and it's a it's a lovely evocation of that and a, a very very nice book indeed. Um, are there areas that we would expect to see more of, or you're, you would expect to see more of now? For example, the great popularity of track cycling now we don't see a great literature of track cycling no because <laughs> track cycling is sort of nasty short and brutish in a way <laughs> whereas you know this great stage races the road races are kind of extended and, man- and lyrical and yeah. many layered yeah. and track cycling isn't like that it's very exciting but it doesn't last very long and you know it's sort of wham bam but we've got a, a biography of chris hoy already haven't we? yes richard moore the the robert miller biographer has written a couple of books one called Heroes and Velodromes, I think, which is the sort of background to Chris Hoy's success and the success of, of British track cycling in the, uh, running up to the Olympics in Beijing. But then after that, he wrote a, a full-scale biography of, of Chris Hoy, which also includes, or I'm sorry, he ghosted the, the full-scale autobiography of Chris Hoy, which includes a lot of background on, on track cycling as well. But really, in a way, if, if road cycling is like golf in that it encourages reflection and retrospection and abstraction then probably track cycling is a bit more like tiddlywinks. Um, now what about fiction and the, the literature of cycling? Well there is one great novel of bike racing and that's The Rider by the Dutch novelist Tim Crabbe. Who who, who's best known for The Vanishing isn't he? Much yes. better known for The Vanishing yes. except among uh, cyclists uh, who know him as the, the author of The Rider which is a sensationally good book about the experience of being an, a, an amateur racer, um, to what it's like being in the peloton, you know, all the experiences you have before, during and after the race, um, all the sort of anxieties and tri- little triumphs and little jealousies, little worries, all sorts of things. It's, it's a, a very, very fine book indeed. Mm. Uh, I'm surprised there aren't more. Um, but then sport is, there are, you know, the, there are not a great number of, of really, really good sporting novels Um, perhaps because sport tends to contain its own narrative and and any kind of fiction based on it is tends to feel false now we've had the richard williams racing 
book. We've had all sorts of different sports things from you. Are we going to get a bike book <laughs> from you finally? <laughs> um, I'd love to do that one day, but at, at the moment I'm too busy trying to get fit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> to try and actually follow the yes, tour rather than yes. write about it. And I shouldn't, not only should I not be uh, writing books about cycling, I should be out there on my bike. I shouldn't be reading them either. <laughs> Richard Williams, thank you very much. Thank you, Claire. That's it for this month's bike podcast. This month's show was produced by Francesca Panetta and Peter Sale. We'll be back next month with more cycle treats. Till then, goodbye.